0: Glory to God. Isn't God good? My hearing aids off? I didn't hear. Oh, I, I guess they I guess they are on. Okay. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. There we go. Guess you got your hearing aids on. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I want to continue a non-series that I started on Father's Day. Remember I said I could do a series but I'm not going to do a series because it has too many interruptions. So this isn't a series, so it's a continuation of my non-series. But I want to talk about the paradox of being a hero. And uh, if you're reading through the Bible as I'm reading through the Bible, uh, our main passage this week, uh, in, uh, in Chronicles, and in First Chronicles, you probably read it, uh, but didn't pay any attention to it. And so I want to talk with you this morning about a particular individual. Uh, his name is Jobaz. And so <clears throat> let's put the scripture up on the board. It's uh, first. It comes from 1 Chronicles, the fourth chapter, in the ninth and the tenth verse. And I'm reading it out of the New Living Bible, and so you can either uh, read it on the board or read it from your own translation. Doesn't matter. But let's read it together. We're, we're starting in First Chronicles, the fourth chapter, in the ninth verse, and it says, "There was a man named." Je- Jobez, we'll we'll try to read it together. Who is more distinguished than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jobez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to God, the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and extend my lands. Please keep me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. Now what's significant about this is what it says about Jobes. And, and, and to kind of understand the, the, the context of this, we have this, this individual Jobes, and, and we believe that it was probably Ezra who wrote the book of 1 Chronicles. And here he is, he's going through naming all these names, and giving the fathers, and so on and so forth. And he goes through all of these names. And then he comes to this ninth verse. And all of a sudden, it's like the, the Holy Spirit interrupted the scribe, and he says, now I want you to talk about this guy. I want you to talk about this guy named Jobel. And this is where we get this, the title, the message, the paradox of being a uh, a hero. Because here's the meaning of paradox. It means a seemingly absurd or uh, self-contradictory statement. Or a proportion that when investigated or expanded may prove to be well-founded or true. Now the thing about it is, is remember a few weeks ago I talked about how I was with Dan Dennison. We graduated from Bible school together and Dan had been a bricklayer for 25 years before school and I'd been a plumber for 12 years. And I made this statement to him, I says, you know when we graduated from, from Bible school, we were the most least likely. We were the two most least likely to make it of everybody that went through that school. But we were the ones that made it. It's kind of a paradox because we shouldn't have been the ones that have done it. It should have been everybody else. But God used us. And that's what I want you to see this morning about the paradox of a hero. Is oftentimes it's the individual that's most least likely. It's the one that you would look at and never think that this individual is going to amount to anything. Jobaz was just that sort of a man. He was the guy that his mother named him pain. That's what Jobaz means, pain. Because she had so much pain when she gave birth to him. And so here's Jobaz, probably most least likely to ever be put in the Bible His name is there. The most least likely that's ever going to be mentioned in Scripture in any way, Jobes, is mentioned. And that's how God works through you and I. Now think about this for a moment. His name means pain. Now, in our culture, whatever the name is, the the meaning of it doesn't really mean that much. Except in my case. You know, David is beloved. <laughs> beloved. Amen. Come on now. You know, but here's Jobez. His name is Payne. So can you just imagine him stopping at Starbucks or Caribou and he orders his vanilla latte. And they said, okay, what name should I put on it? And they said, he says, "Pain." The one who causes pain. Okay. Or just think about when he goes to pick up his girlfriend, new girlfriend, stops at the house and says, hey, Mr. Johnson, how you doing? Well, he says, well, I'm here for your daughter. Oh, okay, and who shall I say is calling? The one who causes pain. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah. But think about that for a moment. This is... This is his life. This is what he had, the one who caused pain. It had to be difficult because he had this stigma. He had this title about him that nobody had wanted anything to do with him. But yet here he is. He's the one that's included in the scripture. He's the one that's placed in the Bible. Now, the interesting thing about Jobaz is he's going through this list of of individuals and so forth. He talks about the fathers and he talks about the sons. But we don't see that with Jobes. And so, <clears throat> here's what's happening. And we start in verse 8. I'm just going to read a little bit of this so you get a, a feel of what the, the scribe, what the writer of 1 Chronicles is talking about. And he says, And Koz, who became the ancestor of Enab, Zebra, of the families, and his son Hiram. And so here he gives all these names. And if you back up, you see that this whole chapter leading up to this point is saying that so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And so so here's the writer. He's putting all of this down. And and all of a sudden, he stops in verse 9. With Jobaz. And so, Jobaz, it doesn't mention his father. You know, there's some that believe that he was born out of wedlock, that he didn't have a father's other beliefs, that he his father disappeared the moment that he was born. We don't know. All that we know is that, according to what's said here, his father wasn't known or his father wasn't available. Now that may not mean that much to us, but we have to understand the culture of the day and what's taking place here. For someone to not have a father in the household or that he could mention as his father, it was was an embarrassment, it was an insult. And so here's Job as, and he doesn't know who his father is, or it's not mentioned anyway. But notice that God, with the Holy Spirit, he didn't care. He stopped everything. He broke all the rules. He stopped everything. And he brings up this guy named Jobes. See, Jobes would have been a shame to the culture. He would have been a shame to what they were talking about. It, it, It came against their pride. You know, the Jewish people, the Israelites, who are descendants, spiritually, were very prideful. And they went by the rules, but what Jesus, or, or what, the, what the Holy Spirit did here in speaking to the scribe, he broke all tradition, he broke all the rules. He broke the sacrificial rules. He broke them all because he mentioned something, an individual, where his father wasn't mentioned. But if that wasn't bad enough, he didn't stop there. He said that he was honorable. It's not bad enough that he just simply mentioned his name. He said that he was honorable. And not only that he was honorable, <clears throat> it said that he prayed. And not only that he prayed, but that his prayer was answered. Once again, like I said, it's like he broke all the rules. And so Jobez gets, or the scribe gets through these Two passages where it's talking about Jobez, and he gets into verse eleven and he just picks up where he left off. Caleb, the brother of Shammah, was the father of Mirah, and it goes on and on talking about father and son, father and son, son and father, where Jobez wasn't a part of any of that. He was an embarrassment. He was a guy that nobody would have considered being anyone of any importance. And see, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the fact that many times we look at ourselves and we see ourselves as not being that important. We see ourselves as not being the individual that's going to be included in the book. Where our name isn't going to be mentioned. But you know what? God cares about you. And so there's people that have probably come into this room today And they're thinking, well, you know what? God doesn't have a second thought about me. But I want to tell you this today. That you may not have the name. You may not have the title. You may not see anything in your life that's so significant. But God sees you as significant. God sees you as important. God sees you as somebody that's included in his book. And he cares about you. But see, we've got to get past the stigma We've got to get past what everybody else may think because we're not going to achieve if we allow everything else and everyone else to dictate to us our significance and our importance. And that's where Jobez was. It was God who looked at him and said, I'm going to make you into something, someone who's great. He didn't have the pedigree. His dad didn't go to Princeton. His mom wasn't an executive in some corporation. In the eyes of most, he was a nobody. He didn't have the pedigree. He didn't have those things. And that's many times where we are. And basically, what Jobes was, he was just a man that wanted a seat. He just wanted a place. He didn't care if it was the back seat, but he wanted a place. And you know, we have a God that's faithful that hears us, that honors us, is gonna give us that place. It may break the rules and may not go according to the religious status quo. You know, according to religious tradition and what most ch- churches say is necessary for somebody to stand behind this pulpit, I never qualified. I didn't have the proper education I didn't have all of those things that are, that are supposed to be so necessary. <clears throat> Man, I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't go to appropriate school. I just barely made it through a public school. And so I didn't have those things. But see, that's not what God is looking at. He's looking at somebody who's gonna be willing. And that's what I wanna talk with you today about. I see Job as, as being a hero. And what was it that made him a hero? It's the same thing that that God wants to produce and that he wants to work in our lives so that we can be those heroes. Remember a couple of weeks ago when when I preached on Father's Day and I talked about heroes and I said, every one of us, we need to be a hero to somebody. Every one of us qualifies to be a hero to somebody that somebody can look up to. And you know, every one of us, We need heroes in our lives as well. But this morning, what we're talking about is what what is necessary, what does it take to be a hero? So, I want to talk about five characteristics that I see in Jobes that caused him, allowed him to be a hero. Number one, heroes choose to see themselves the way God sees them. Heroes choose. To, the, to see themselves as God sees them. Again, going back to First Chronicles 4:9, it says, "There was a man named Jobaz who was more honorable than his brothers. I want you to notice something. Jobaz didn't give himself that title. That title was bestowed upon him by God. And I think sometimes we look at ourselves when we say, you know what, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. I'm not worthy to be sitting in this position or that position, whatever it may be. But you see, it isn't something that you appoint yourself. It's something that's bestowed upon you by God. You're a child of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. You're called to, to, to lift up the name of Jesus, not because you're so qualified, but because you've been qualified through the blood of Jesus. You've been given the name that is above every name that is mentioned. <clears throat> Didn't you just love the songs that we sang this morning when we sing about Jesus? You know, I mean, it, it, it seemed like it'd been forever since I was in church. It was so good to be home and have you lead us in worship. It was wonderful. But see, how do we we see ourselves? We need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We need to stop allowing ourselves to, to be influenced by what everybody else has to say. Or trying to do what everybody else says that we're supposed to do. You know, you're a very good you. Nobody can be you like you can be you. There's no other you like you. Do you get that? But let me tell you something. You make a very poor somebody else. You do a very poor job of being what somebody else says that you're supposed to be. You need to be who God has called you to be. You need to fulfill the role that God has placed in your life. And you need to stop depending upon what everybody else had to say. Let me tell you something. If Jobaz would have spent his life allowing what everybody else thought, what everybody else was saying, influence his life and dictate to his life, he would have never prayed the prayer. He would have been quiet. He would have been what everybody else said he should have been, that, that one in the corner, not speaking up. But he wasn't willing. He spoke up. He wasn't out to please others. We need to be out to please God. In Romans, the ninth chapter, and the 25th and 26th verse, and then the 30th verse. And I'm reading this out of the message. And it says, Hosea put it well. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. In the place where they yell out, you're nobody, they're calling you. God's living child, children verse 30 how can we sum this up all those people didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing as he stretched, strengthened out their lives he makes nobodies. Somebodies. I don't know about you, I was a nobody. But God can make a somebody out of a nobody. When we begin to put our trust, we begin to put our confidence in Him. You're a somebody. Everybody say, I'm a somebody. somebody. You're not a nobody any longer. You see, God wants to use you. And it says that He's the one that called I'll call the unloved and make them loved. You know, if we feel in love, the problem is is we're relying on others and we're not relying upon Him. You're loved because He calls you loved. He says that you're loved. And at what point are we going to make the decision that we're going to believe what God says about us? You know that that one song that we sang, the one where uh I don't know how it goes now, but uh it it says about um building our life on on his love yeah. well i I was shocked one day because we were at the prison we were singing that song and I, and I said to don afterwards i said you 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 printed this wrong because it, it said uh, i I'm, I'm built on your on your." Build your life on your love. And, and we sing word all the time. And it said, well, Pastor Becky liked word better than love. And, and, and see, the, the problem is, you know, it, it says the same thing. But see, this is a this problem. Most people don't have an understanding of what God's love is. Because God's love is based upon the truth and the reality of his word. And so, most people that try to build their, their selves upon the love of God are not building it upon the agape of love. They're building it on phileo or eros or or something like that. But it's not based on agape. And so, but when we base our life on the word of God, there's no chance of making a mistake. Because the word of God doesn't make a mistake. The Word of God reveals to you who you truly are. You may feel insecure. You may feel like you're inadequate. But when you begin, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) when you begin to base your life upon the truths and the realities of the Word of God, you begin to see yourself the way God sees you. I don't know if you know what it's like to be insecure. I grew up with an insecurity problem problem with an insecurity complex, I guess. Fear of being in front of people and so on and so forth. For me, I only found one solution to that. And that was beginning to believe what the Word of God says about me. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. That's based upon the Word of God. If you want to have strength and if you want to be, be full of life... It's going to be based upon what the Word of God says, not on what some man says. And so, I'll call the unloved. Make them loved. You feel unloved? Your answer is God. He calls you loved. And so what are you going to do? You're going to choose what you feel? Or are you going to choose to believe what God says about you. And you see, that applies to every, every single area of our lives. And so the first characteristic, heroes choose to see themselves the way God sees them. The second characteristic of a paradoxical hero is, heroes believe God can still answer the greatest prayers in the midst of the greatest pain. His mother named Jobaz pain because of his painful birth. In Second Chronicles 4, 10, it says, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Oh, that you would bless me So he's speaking to the Lord, and he says, Oh, that you would bless us. Imagine this. Hear this. Jobaz, this insignificant individual, it says that he prayed. You know, I think one of the problems that we have, I don't know about you. I don't like pain. But you know what? Pain is a, is a teacher in our life. When we're going through an area of pain in our life, what it reveals to us is an area where we need to, where we need to change. You know, when my, when my body hurts because I overextended, that pain tells me, well, dummy, you should have been working those muscles prior to that. And of course... I don't learn that lesson very well. And so periodically I experience pain in my body because I didn't learn from the last time that I had pain. But you know what, we encounter emotional pain. We encounter all kinds of pain in our life. But I think oftentimes what happens is we don't don't value that pain from the standpoint that that pain is there to teach us something. That pain is there to show us That something needs to change in our life. But if we don't value it, if we don't recognize it, we don't change. And so as a result of that, you know, we we continually go in the same cycle over and over again. Because we we don't learn our lesson. At some point in time, if we don't want the pain, we've got to learn the change. We've got to realize that something has to be different in our life. And so, sociology teaches us that when a person goes through pain, they will either choose pleasure or they'll choose principal living. What made Jobaz heroic? He chose the presence of God. Rather than being in a self-pity trip, rather than just focusing upon himself and feeling sorry for himself, it said that he prayed. And so, I believe that that definition that I gave you uh, concerning what sociologists teach about the person who goes through pain, they will either choose pleasure, or they'll choose principle living. I believe that when he chose prayer. He chose the presence of God, which was choosing principle living. But you know, we see it all the time in the lives of people because they're going, they're going through pain. They, they, they make a choice in their life. And oftentimes, what we do is we, we choose pleasure. We see individuals because they're in pain. They go north of town. They go to the casino and they waste their money because they're trying to, to satisfy the pain that they're experiencing in their life by fulfilling it with pleasure. The problem is, is there'll never be enough pleasure. Monday nights we, we visit individuals that, that have, have turned to the pleasure of alcohol and drugs and other addictions to try to get free of their pain. The problem is, is the pain doesn't ever go away. And so rather than choosing principle living, they choose pleasure. And the pleasure never satisfies. I'm sure you the same as I have experienced the very same thing. If I'm frustrated about something, if I'm discouraged about something, that third piece of cake doesn't solve it. The pleasure doesn't solve it. The only solution that I've found in my life is the principle of living, or rather, choosing the presence of God. You know, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I don't know about you, I like to get stuff. Amen. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I know you do too. I like stuff. You know, and so you read that passage. Oh, to give is more blessed than to receive. Well, let me tell you something. When you're in the midst of pain, when you're in the midst of difficulty, when you're in the midst of trial, the greatest thing that you can do is give of yourself. Because there's a, there, 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 there's a principle that's put into motion when they do that. We talked about the principle of giving when we talked about tithes and offerings. But that principle of giving applies in every single area of our lives. And one of the greatest ways that we can give is to give ourselves, to, to help somebody to do something for somebody else. That principle of living it sets us free. But instead, what we oftentimes do is we try to medicate ourselves with something else. Because when we're going through stuff, we're going to medicate with something. So there, it's either going to be pleasure, or it's going to be principle living. One's going to produce freedom. One's going to produce just greater and deeper bondage in our life. And so here Job is. This guy that everybody talks about. This guy that causes pain. And so how did he medicate himself? He went to prayer. Hmm, it's come to that. You know, there, there was a time when we reached a time of difficulty. The first thing that we did was pray. Now we've reached the point that, hmm, it's come to that. It's the last resort. But you know what? God is always the answer. And So why not go to him in the first place rather than in the last place? In Ephesians 2, or excuse me, Ephesians 3.20, in the message it says, "God, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it by working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently within us. Where was Job? Job was at the place he went old school. He didn't have any place else to turn. He prayed. He prayed and he asked God. He he said, I could medicate myself with money, but I don't have any money. I could medicate myself with this, but I don't have any. And So what did he do? He went to God. He went to prayer. God can solve those problems. It says... In Ephesians, where we just read, His Spirit deeply and gently within us. Two words, deeply and gently. God will take you deeper than you ever thought you could possibly go. He'll take you deeper into your healing, your deliverance, whatever it is that you need in your life. God will take you there. But we've got to allow Him to take us there. But you know, oftentimes we're fearful. We're fearful because we think it's going to be so hard, it's going to be so harsh. But it's two words, deep and gentle. We forget that we serve a gentle God. You know, you've all heard the story of the individual that, you know, <clears throat> it was afraid to pray that God might use him in any way that he'd want to because he's afraid if he said, God, I'm yours, use me as you choose. He's afraid he'll send him to South America or someplace. And so I'm not going to pray that because God might send me there. Well, let me tell you something about God. He's gentle. If he sends you to South America, he's going to give you the desire to go there before he sends you. It's going to work within you. You know, God is a gentle God. I hear people, you know, people that read the Old Testament out of context. What's the context? The context is according to the light of the new covenant. We read the Old Testament, the old covenant, under the light of the new covenant, which is a better covenant, established on better promises, and that's where we live. But people read the Old Testament, and they see God as so harsh. They don't see him as a gentle God. But you know what? The same God of the old covenant is the same God of the new covenant. And when you see Him in the New Covenant, in the light of redemption through Jesus Christ, you see Him gentle. You see Him loving. You don't see Him as this harsh God that's just waiting for you to mess up so that He can whack you one over the head. I remember growing up in the environment that I grew up in, we were just convinced that God was in heaven just waiting for us to screw up so that He could whack us a good one. That isn't the God that I serve. I serve a gentle God. Yes, he can be demanding. Yes, in certain ways, he can be harsh when he needs to get his word across to you and I. But it isn't because he's a harsh God. It's because we refuse to listen. We need to listen. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us into all truth. He wants to, he wants to give us the breakthrough. I've got to read this out of my notes because I know will get, get it right. Everything that God does in your life will always go deeper than you think. But you will always be gentle, gentler than you think. For this reason, God knows your breaking point. And God is always wanting to bring us to the place where you can have a break up. And a breakup will always lead to a breakdown. And a breakdown will always lead to a breakthrough. You know what? A lot of us have never entered into a breakthrough in our life because we haven't allowed, through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, to break us down to that point to where we're totally dependent upon Him. Because He wants to bring that breakthrough in each of our lives. But you know what? In order for there to be a breakdown, oftentimes, there has to be a breakup. We have to release something in our life. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's something that we've been dependent upon. Something that we've relied upon. And he wants a breakup. He wants us to release it. So that he can break us down. So that he can take us through. Never wants to leave us in the valley. He wants to take us through the valley. To the victory. And so why is there a breakup? So there can be a breakdown, so that there can be a breakthrough, so that he can reveal himself to us in a deeper way than he ever has been before. And once he brings us to the breakthrough, there can be a breakout. We can do something that we've never done before. Because of my insecurities, I had to have a breakup. I had to let go of it. I had to say, God, you can do all, I can do all things through you as you strengthen me. And there had to be a breakup so that I could have a breakdown to a point to where I totally were dependent upon him. Realizing that if he doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. And once I have that breakdown, there can be a breakthrough so that there can be a breakout. That's where God wants to take us. And so, then, characteristic number three heroes cry out for a miracle, to be a miracle for someone else. Oftentimes, we're crying for a miracle for ourselves, but a hero cries out for a miracle. But the miracle that he's crying for is someone else. Job has prayed that your hand would be with me. You know what? It wasn't bad enough that, God, that Job has prayed that God be with him. But he prayed that your hand would be with me. Now, now the thing about this is, when you do a little bit of study and you find out, especially under this time, when they talked about having the hand of God, you see this with, with, with the people in Israel. When they're talking about the hand of God being with them, they're talking about His very presence. To have the hand of God upon you, talking about something very special. It's not just talking about being in His presence. It's talking about His blessing being upon you. And so Jobes is not just saying, God, I'd like you to answer me, answer my prayer. I want your blessing to be upon me. I want you to be with me. I want you to empower me. I'll let your hand be upon me. So that there can be results. But the thing that I want you to notice is he prayed, Let your hand be with me, but why? Not so that he could be wealthy? Not so that he could have a new house? But he says, so that I won't cause pain, so that I won't cause the difficulty in the lives of those around me that had caused in the past. He says, that you may keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Man, what a prayer. Nobody prays like that today. It's not about me, It's it's not what I want, It's what I want for for somebody else. Not that I'm so blessed, but that what I do won't cause difficulty in the lives and the behaviors of other people. That I won't cause pain in their life any longer. That I can be set free from this addiction in my life so that I'll no longer cause pain in the lives of others. You see, why do we want to be set free from stuff? Is it just simply so that I can feel better? Or is it so that I can be a true blessing to somebody else, so that I won't be a burden to somebody else? That's what, that's what Jobaz was praying. He's saying that I would not cause evil. He's saying that I would no longer cause pain in the lives of other people. And he's saying, you know what, that'd be a miracle. But you know what? That miracle is available to us if we allow him to bring that miracle through us to the lives of others. Then the fourth characteristic of a paradoxical hero. A hero stays in faith to see God do it anyway even when others said there's no way. I'll read it again. A hero says in faith stays in faith to see God do it anyway even when others said there is no way. There's no way. Jobaz was different. But he did it anyway. Even though he was born in pain, caused pain in his family, he dreamed anyway. What made him a hero is that he forgave his brothers anyway. There was a reason why he was not honorable. But he forgave his mother anyway. He did it anyway. He didn't allow the circumstances to stop him from fulfilling the plan of God. He did it anyway. Well, those people hurt me. Forgive them anyway. Well, I wasn't done right. Do right anyway. Do the right thing anyway. Not dependent upon what everybody else says, what anybody else thinks. Do it anyway. Help somebody. Even when they weren't there to help you, do it anyway. Now, some of you don't probably appreciate this, but uh, there was something on Facebook that, that somebody put on there from Oklahoma. And it was talking about the legislature in Oklahoma, and, and I don't remember the details and so forth, but it was, was something like, uh, they, they, they said you couldn't have open gun laws, we did it anyway. They said you couldn't do this, we did it anyway. But you know what, where it begins? It begins in our own lives. We're going to allow what others say and what others do to affect us? Or are we going to do it anyway? Let me read this to you. I I don't remember exactly where I found it, but it says People are often unreasonable. People will be illogical and self centered. However, forgive them anyway. If you are kind, and people may accuse you of selfish motives, be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some friends, and some false friends, and some true friends. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. When you spend your years building And know that someone overnight could destroy it. Build it anyway. If you find sincerity and happiness. And others become jealous of you. Be happy anyway. The good you do today. People might forget tomorrow. However, do good anyway. Give the world the best you have. It may never be enough for them. Give them your best anyway. Because in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It never was between you and them anyway. Do it anyway. Well, you know, if I do it, it's just going to... Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Galatians, the sixth chapter, the ninth verse. It says, so let's not get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. Do good anyway. Love anyway, not dependent upon what others say or what others do, do it anyway. Then our last characteristic, number five: heroes honor the past while remaining loyal to the future. This is basically his story, Jobel's story. In First Corinthians 4:35 he's gone through this whole list, and Jobes has been included in it. And then it says in verse 38, these mentioned by name were leaders. Jobes, the one who caused pain, is included in that. It, says, it mentioned <clears throat> by name these leaders. And their families and their father's house increased greatly. Jobes. The one who wasn't honored was honored, was included in the list. We need to be faithful. We need to be true. We need to not despise where we came from, but let's look forward. You know, there's there's so many people. They live in the past. Their past is still dictating to them what their present and what their future is gonna be, and what it is. You know what, at some point, we've gotta let loose of that past. It doesn't mean that we don't still honor it. it doesn't mean that we <clears throat> don't still recognize it. I noticed on my calendar this morning that tomorrow morning, uh, tomorrow would've been my dad's birthday. He would've been 102 years old, I think. He died at 98. But you know what? Uh, dad's gone. But you know what? Uh, there were things that he didn't put in my life, but there were things he did put in my life. And so I remember that. I honor that. But you know what? I'm not going to be limited by that. I'm going to go further than what I could imagine, that I could think. And of course, when you get to be my age, you know, people think oh, all you have is your pastors. Yeah, I have nowhere to go. Yes, I do. Friday, I rode a wave runner for the first time. I rode that sucker all the way across the lake. Didn't fall off once. Didn't even have a heart attack. And rode it back again. So there's, there's something to look forward to. David. King David said in Psalms seventy-one eighteen because I think a lot of times we use that as our excuse. Well, I just can't do it anymore. This is my wife listens to something on Facebook. She didn't hear me. I heard you. was gonna look at your pictures. Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Psalms seventy-one eighteen. Now this is David speaking. Now that I am old and gray, don't abandon me. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation. Your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Oh, that makes me want to cry. You know, I look around this room and I I see retired preachers. But they ain't quit. They haven't quit. They're still proclaiming to the generations. And you know what? What we have, y'all need. What we've experienced, you need. I was listening to Jerry Seville this morning and he was talking about his beginnings and how he, he first heard of Kenneth Copeland and then he kept hearing Copeland talk about this guy by the name of Kenneth Hagen, and so he began to look up Kenneth Hagan's stuff and then he heard about this guy by the name of Oral Roberts and he began to follow after Oral Roberts stuff and then he heard about this guy by the name of T.L. Osborne and he, no it was, wasn't T.L., was it? Well, another, it was either T.L. or Hilton Sutton, one of those, I don't remember. But anyway, he, he continued to follow those and he says, you know what? He says, I don't understand these things. But he said, every one of their messages are on my iPad. And he says, here I am, 50 years later, I'm still listening to those same messages. And every time I'm listening to those messages, I'm still getting truth. There's truth out there. And we need to continue to go back and draw from that truth what those men of God and women of God had to share with us and what they imparted into our lives. It's not something to overlook. It's something to rekindle. Because we don't want to lose that fire. We don't want this next generation to have to start all over again. Because that's what we've seen through Christendom. We go for about three generations and they have to start all over again with a revival. Why do we have a revival every three generations? Because we need one. Because it hasn't followed after generation, after generation, after generation. What we have is to be passed on to the next generation. It isn't supposed to die out. It's to get stronger and stronger and stronger to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if there's anything that's hindered Jesus' return, it's probably the fact that we haven't continued the truth that it's had to start over again with every generation or two. Well, excuse me for preaching, but it's the truth. And so we need to make sure that it's passed on. As I shared with fathers a couple of weeks ago, as a hero, your number one responsibility is to make sure that your children have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's alive within them. Well, let me start to close. I still want to talk about this. I'll I'll read this from you. I don't remember where I got this, but it's the final thoughts of a father to his family and friends. And it says, a time will come, my family, when my life will cease. When that time comes, I ask that you remember these things. Bury my eyes if you must. But family, I don't know if I can do this. Don't bury my vision. Bury my body if you must. But don't bury my beliefs. Bury my heart if you must but don't bury my love for you. Bury my feet if you must, but don't bury the path of my life. To my sons, bury my hands if you must, but don't bury my diligent efforts. To my wife and to my daughters, Bury my shoulders if you must, but don't bury my concern and my love for the family. To all my friends, bury my voice if you must, but don't bury the message of my life. To my grandkids, bury my mind if you must, but children, don't bury my dreams. To those who have come to honor me, bury me if you must, but don't bury my life. To those that I've grown to be with as family and friends, I submit to you, if you must bury something, bury my faults, bury my weaknesses. If you must bury something, bury my times, the times I've let you down. Bury the arguments we had in anger. Bury the words I spoke that discouraged you. And most of all, if you must bury something, bury every pain and sadness that would stop my life from continuing in you. Well, hallelujah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? So, be a hero don't allow the circumstances of life to stop you you may feel like a Jobes, rejected a nobody but as we looked in his life God takes a zero and he makes him into a hero be a hero in somebody's life and again The five characteristics of a hero. Heroes choose to see themselves the way God sees them. That's how you need to see yourself. Heroes believe God can still answer the greatest prayer in the midst of their greatest pain. No matter what the circumstances is, God's bigger. Heroes cry out for a miracle to be a miracle. For someone else. Here'll stay in faith. To see God do it anyway. Even when others said there is no way. Don't allow can't. To be part of your vocabulary. You can. If they, can't, if they say you can't do it. Just go ahead and do it anyway. And then Finally. Heroes honor the past while remaining loyal to the future. We serve a wonderful God. He's so big. Let's not limit Him. And the only way that we can limit Him is by saying, you can't do that through me. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Not only can he can, but he will. And I know that to be true because I'm a living witness. I'm a living testimony of what God can do in and through you if you allow him to. So Father, we thank you today for your goodness and for your love. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you, Father, that you created each and every one of us to be a success in life, to be a positive influence in the life of others. Use us to that end, that your kingdom might be furthered. And we'll give you the praise in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.